You're listening to the John Clark Cast. My name is John Clark. I'm your host, licensed counselor, group practice owner, and a guide for therapists trying to build a better business without all the overwhelm. And today on this episode, I'm sitting down with my friend Joe Sanok. And in this episode, we are talking about um, the myths behind having aha moments, uh, those light bulb moments around big ideas, the five stages of forming and launching your own big ideas, the therapist and private practice, and, um, and just other fun topics um, that are uh, surrounding uh, uh, these ideas. So uh, fun episode, always good to have Joe on the show. And without further ado, let's dive in. Building a private practice can be tough, but I believe that it doesn't have to be. And so uh, I'd like to help you make things a whole lot easier. Um, if you're interested in working with me, head to thejohnclark.com and uh, apply for a free strategy session. That's thejohnclark.com to apply for a free strategy session. Um, in the meantime, do me a big favor, rate, review, and subscribe to this show wherever you are listening. That really helps us get the word out and continue to grow the show. And um, otherwise, tell a friend uh, about the show as well. Share your favorite episode. And um, thank you in advance for helping us uh, move things forward. Joe Sanok is back on the show. Joe, it's good to see you, man. Joe is a consultant, a practice of the practice. He's been helping a lot of therapists for quite a while. <laughs> uh, I am one of those therapists. And um, I haven't caught up with you in a while, so I'm just happy to have you back on the show. Joe's also a group practice owner as well as a consultant. Um, Joe's uh, podcast, Practice of the Practice podcast, blog at practiceofthepractice.com a wealth of resources for therapists at any stage in private practice. And, um, Joe's a speaker. He is, uh, an author and he's just a killer dude. And that's how I'm going to end that intro. <laughs> Joe, I, I love welcome that. to the show. All, all the boring stuff. Then he's a killer dude. A killer I'll take dude. it. I should say I that like first it. of all, better than a dude killer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to get better at my introductions and I think I'm getting worse. Because I just end up winging it, and then I get real nervous halfway through, and I just start making up facts. Like, he's really into surfing, and people are like, I, I, well, that's not... Is that true? <laughs> no, I think there is. I mean, when, when you want to try something new, there's that, like, kind of change, you know, where it's awkward for a bit, and that didn't feel awkward to me. So good, good. maybe if you uh, did Kelly's or other people's, you know, maybe it's a little more awkward. Oh, that hers was extremely awkward. Awesome. But she, she was, like, squelching laughter the whole time, and which made me... I want to like giggle, you know, like you, yeah. when you giggle and you're not supposed to giggle, like when you're in church, it was like that. You know, like Kelly's kind of like a sister where, uh, it, it's fun to razz her and see her fail publicly, yeah. but then I really feel bad about her failing publicly. <laughs> yeah, <so. definitely. laughs> yeah. There's a good conversation to, to have to come after that. Right. Um, well, it's good to see you, man. Tell folks, um, a bit more about who you are, how you got here and what you're up to now. And then, and then we'll get into, um, uh, talking about big ideas and aha moments for the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Most of what I do now is helping therapists that have private practices to start, grow and scale. 
Um, but a big arm of what I've really developed over the last probably year and a half, two years has been helping people launch big ideas where they realize that they have a lot of value of what they're bringing to sessions, but there's a much broader audience for that value. Uh, it started with just me blogging about what I was learning from business books, like a co-learner. Hey, I read Guerrilla Marketing. Here's what I learned from it. I read The One Thing. Here's what I learned from it. Uh, and just trying things out and realizing there just, at that time, wasn't a ton on the actual business basics for private practice. Mm. Uh, and so in 2013, launched a podcast to talk about that as well. No, yeah. 2013, mm -hmm. I launched the the blog in 2012, and you know left my full time job a couple years ago to do this in the private practice full time, and haven't looked back. It's been a fun ride, and we get to really just try things that we think will work and see if they stick and if people resonate with them. Joe, with actually with Kelly's episode, which we just recorded ten minutes ago, um, we talked about this idea of like people who are successful in business. You're one of those people. I don't know if that's a surprise to you. And, uh, <laughs> what? Thanks lot, for the new job. Yeah. I wanted to bring you on the show to tell you that. Um, oh. and people are like, I don't know if enough people even know part of your story or the fact that like, cause I, when we were talking about how people see other people doing well or, be, or the being successful in something and we write them off or we go, well, oh, they had this going for them or someone helped them or they had something that I don't have. Right. Mm. And I think for you, I'm like, when I first learned about you, I'm like, oh, you were doing the same job I was doing, you know, before I went into private practice and started believing this whole thing could be true. Or then the next level being like, oh, I could help therapists as well or become an entrepreneur. But, you know, like you came from that, that agency world. Right. Yeah. And, and that, I think that is such a huge part of like, your story, right? That still drives a lot of what, what you do in helping therapists create a better situation for themselves if that's what they want, if private practice is what they want. Yeah. I think it's interesting when, when you look back, when anyone looks back, you see this kind of string that connects things in a, that you never would have guessed, but that definitely does. And, uh, I think being able to find unique ways to solve problems, um, and also kind of having this, I hate like out of the box, but just maybe this, mm. I don't want to say punk rock, but just this different way of looking at things. Yeah. And so whether it was, you know, being in a band in college and how we weren't a good band, but we sold way more in merchandise and got people there uh, through the marketing side, but never calling it marketing um, or working in a nonprofit and working the angle of like, how can I get them to pay me to work four days a week instead of five or how can I get them to pay me to go on a sailboat to take kids, you know, out on a sailboat and do therapy on the boat, like working an angle so that I got to live the life I wanted on someone else's dime. Uh, I think I've really realized recently was a thread throughout. So whether I was at CMH uh, and working with something called the adventure group where I got paid to go camping and hiking, but genuinely impacting kids, but doing the kind of work that I really wanted to, even though I wasn't getting paid what I wanted to. Uh, that's been something that wherever I was at, I think has been a commonality that I didn't notice until recently. So you, you, you had your, you took your big idea and created a business out of it and you, you're helping a lot of therapists do the same thing. It's, it's fun. Cause I also see more therapists that, you know, have worked with you and their ideas popping up, <laughs> you know, all over it's, the internet. It's I'm like, so oh, amazing to that's see, a, you know, that idea was kind of incubated with Joe Sanok. Um, how did you really get going on this idea of big ideas and tell walk us through the process that you, um, kind of take folks through, um, to, to get there. 
Yeah, I want to start with just kind of big picture concepts that I think are really important. And I would say that for therapists in particular, there's three myths that we really have to push back against and say, what's the real truth here? So the first myth uh, I would say is that we hear that you have to hustle, you've got to do everything, you've got to be everywhere uh, to have a successful business or big idea. And I would actually say that the biggest breakthroughs, the truth is that when you slow down, that's when the real sparks of innovation happen. When you think about when you have a big idea or make a big decision, it's usually you're in the shower, you're on a long drive without the music on, you're on a hike somewhere. Usually there's some sort of introspection that's happening where you've given yourself the time and the space to allow your brain to really work on things in a way that's different from when you're listening to 50 million podcasts and you're you know in that high energy killing it mode, which is important, but that stepping back is even more important. Uh, we know there's several research studies out there, but the one that I like the most is University of Illinois. They did a study on vigilance decrement. So vigilance decrement, vigilance, how well you pay attention to something, decrement meaning it breaks down over time. And they had this study, and I won't take you through all the elements of it, but they found that even a one-minute break every 20 minutes had vigilance decrement uh, at bay, meaning that they were as productive at the end of that 20 minutes as they were at the beginning, whereas people that didn't do that, by the end of you know two sessions of those 20 minutes, they were less productive at the end. They weren't able to pay attention. There's all sorts of other things that were happening. So even having this kind of deactivation, reactivation in very small moments can help your brain realize, okay, something new is happening or something that I perceive as new is happening, so I need to really dive in differently. So that's the, the first myth that I would push back on is that you really have to just kind of follow that, that hustle and kill it all the time, you know, work seven days a week mindset. Uh, the next myth I would really push back on is that uh, the best ideas are brand new ideas. Yeah, there are the Elon Musks of the world. There are you know people that are genuinely creating brand new things. Um, but most of the best ideas are linking together other good ideas. Uh, and so you look at Uber, for example. You know, two guys were in Paris and the weather was terrible and they couldn't get a taxi. And they said, you know, there's all these things that we have. We have on-demand video. We have taxis. We have smartphones. Why doesn't something link all this together? So they went and they bought, uh, I think it was ubertaxi.com like that day. Um, Lyft had a similar story around the same time and people debate who's better and who you know came out first. Um, but then you look at kind of the next step of that and now in big cities you see these things called either limes or birds and they're these motorized scooters that is basically like ride sharing or bike sharing but with these motorized scooters. And so People adapt and change good ideas to fit their situations all the time. And then that idea becomes a new idea. You know, in the same way that monthly income reports, Pat Flynn was doing that well before I was, but no one in the private practice space was doing that, saying, here's how and where I make my money. Like, I'm just going to be fully transparent in that area every single month. Um, and so in the therapy space, that was a new idea, even though it was totally Pat Flynn that was doing that. And then the third myth that I would say is that especially for therapists, we have very small egos and we have very large skill sets. So the myth would be, I have nothing to contribute to the world. Uh, and if we looked at an average room of 100, say, U.S. citizens, we know that 8% of those people would have a master's degree. So eight people out of a room of 100 are gonna have a master's degree or higher. And so how many of those are gonna be doctors, attorneys, you know, maybe a CPA that got a master's degree, MBA? 
in any kind of typical room, you are going to be, just by having a master's degree, the smartest person in the room around mental health. If we then add specialties on top of that, EMDR, Gottman Level 2, or any of these specialties, you're definitely the smartest person in the room, unless you're at a conference. You know, Then you're going to compare yourself to all these other people. And so because we have such small egos and such large skill sets, the world needs us more than kind of the average occupation. We have things to contribute to the world and big ideas that really should go beyond the 30 people we might see in sessions in a week. So how do you know when you have an idea worth pursuing? I don't think you do. I mean, I would actually say that um, it's usually a best guess. Uh, and that's why the, the most successful people that I see uh, in launching their big ideas, they approach almost everything as an experiment. I mean, you're, you know more than just about anyone I know about Google Ads. You know, a lot of that is tweaking and adjusting and seeing what works and then looking at the data and then switching it up. Uh, the same thing is true when you have an idea. You don't want to invest too much time or money into something without giving it kind of a good go to see if people might pre-buy something, to see if people resonate with the message, to you know, talk to your ideal customers ahead of time. And so you know, there's some steps to experiment to really give you a really good idea of kind of where you're headed with your big idea. There's people that... Um... I think have good ideas and they build the thing and then they introduce the thing <laughs> to the market and they get really disappointed if it doesn't completely take off right off the bat. Right. Or, um, if your sales aren't as high as you want them to be, but in reality, all that is information that you can and should use to adjust and respond to, to the market, right. To respond to um, the reactions that you're getting. And I think, some people get discouraged quickly and they take a good idea and they throw it in the trash. Yeah. I mean, I remember the moment that I was about to shut down practice of the practice and it was right when I was heading out to the ACA conference out in Hawaii. And, um, when I was headed out there, we, the podcast, I had been at it for a while. Um, uh, it just really wasn't working as well as I wanted it to. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a, a little bit more of a go. So first I'm going to, um, get the logo designed better. I had a really crappy logo at the time. Uh, and then I said, okay, I'm going to podcast every single week, uh, you know, for six months and just see if that changes things. And I'm going to get the website redesigned. So those three things I said, all right, so that's, uh, you know, what I'm going to do to see if this is worth it. And those things, then when I watched kind of what was happening, uh, it made me stick with it because I had said, what can I add a little more to? But I was, I was on the verge of letting it all go because, you know, I wasn't seeing the numbers make sense. Yeah. So for a therapist, because I think a lot of therapists, um, have ideas and a lot of therapists are really yearning to do something beyond just see clients. Um, they often don't know where to start again. They don't know if it's a good idea or not. They might get hung up on the tech part. I think that's another huge thing, right? Is have an idea. I'm not sure how to build it um, or how to describe to someone else how to build it. Um, but like, how do you help therapists decide is, is your practice in a place where you can turn and commit to a project that's is an idea that's maybe not fully tested or is not generating revenue right now, right? So how do we pursue that big idea in a way where your practice doesn't, um, uh, isn't sacrificed? Yeah, so I want to um, talk through kind of five different phases that people go through. Um, and, 
you know, right at the beginning, you have to take some time to be intentional. And so I'll just kind of tell you the five uh, and then we can drill into each of them. So it's intentional design, experiment, activate and scale magically spells ideas. Uh, and so intentional. So you want to start with looking at just what are the basic numbers of your practice? And so where do you have numbers in regards to finances? Where are the numbers in regards to your time? Um, where are the numbers in regards to passive income? So money that's kind of coming in through your clinicians that isn't going to take a lot of actual time in the chair. And so for each person, that's going to look a little bit different. But if all of your money is tied up in you sitting in the chair, like, do you have any wiggle room with your time? You know, if you're doing 40 hours, 40 clinical hours a week, and your bu budget at home needs to have that full 40 hours, you're not going to have the emotional bandwidth to put any time into a big idea. So then that person has to put in some time to say, I need to either raise my rates, see fewer people, um, bring on some 1099s or W-2s. I need to figure out some way to free up that time and be intentional with where I'm spending my time. The thing that I go back to over and over from the book, The One Thing, is what's the one thing that if you were achieving it that would make all the difference and make everything else easier? And so, you know, is keeping doing 40 hours a week going to keep you moving towards your big goals? Probably not. So we need to do some wiggle room there and be intentional in our time and how we're spending our money. So you may need to cut some budget items at home so that you have a little more wiggle room to take that time off. So after that, we want to really start to look at, you know, is there some design that we could start to give our best guess at? And so take your typical therapist, maybe they uh, work on trauma, EMDR. What are those common things that you're talking about that uh, you go over, over and over in your sessions that the world really needs to hear? Um, Dr. Kelly Flanagan, he's a therapist down in Chicago. He wrote a book called Lovable. I just talked to him recently and met him at the Front Row Dads Retreat. Uh, he said that one of his therapy clients said to him, you know, what you're telling me in these sessions should not be limited to the 30 people you see a week. And he it took him years to like really believe that. But then he wrote this book and now he's this national keynote speaker. Um, so so you want to look at what are the things that you could design with a first go of it? I'll pause there before we go into the other ones, because, you know, I don't want to have too many soliloquies on this podcast. <laughs> so, you know, what's funny is um, uh, I remember you made this post. It was a quite a while back, but folks are always like kind of infatuated with this idea of passive income. And I remember it must've been, um, you all were renovating your kitchen or something and you're like, um, well, this isn't passive, but I just saved X amount of dollars by demoing my kitchen instead of having <laughs> paying for it. And I was like, well, there's a, there's a novel idea for you in terms of finding money in places. I think it was in the summer slump or whatever, right? Yeah. Therapists who worry about that summer slump, but that came to mind when you were talking. And I got some great exercise using that sledgehammer. Boom. I mean, <laughs> got all that pent up energy and anger. Out. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> all right. So what are the other steps? This is, this is yeah. good stuff. Okay, so after you design that kind of basics, you want to do some experimentation. And so this can look uh, a couple of ways, but I'd say there's some really common ones. Uh, and so you want to just see if whatever audience you have already resonates with it. That can be as simple as starting to post things on Facebook and seeing what people say. Um, so for example, I realized that uh, almost every night my my oldest daughter gets up after she's been tucked in and says, Daddy, I can't I can't sleep. I you know want to have dreams, but I don't know what to think about. Like almost every night. And I always come up with some crazy idea for her to ponder um, that's really interesting. And I thought, you know, maybe someday this would be a fun children's book. Um, I don't know if I want to do anything with this, but I should probably start capturing some of these things. So I just started, you know, when I think about it each night, just posting it onto Facebook. So I think last night it was 
imagine that Christmas lights came to life and they were really hungry, what would they go eat? Uh, and so I post that on Facebook and see if people resonate with that. I don't know if that's going to be a big enough idea that it's going to turn into a full-on children's book, but it's a small way to see if anybody even resonates with it. If it's totally crickets, then it's like, well, probably not anything worth pursuing at all other than helping my daughter go to sleep. If I have 50 people that gives it thumbs up and comments, well, then there may be some information there as well. So designing some sort of really entry-level experiment uh, is really important. So if we go back a couple, like about a year and a half ago, the practice of practice team, uh, we were brainstorming like what is needed in private practice that we aren't offering now and at a price point that we're not offering. So at that point, we had mastermind groups, we had one-on-one -on -one consulting, we were helping lots of people in the 100K plus range. And so high-end products that you know cost a lot of money. But the people that we were losing were the people that we had kind of our free audience. We had the people that paid $17 for our one-year practice plan. But then the next jump up was one of our mastermind groups. And it's just too big of a jump. There was nothing kind of for that zero to 60K group. So we brainstormed an idea of doing a membership community. Now, there's lots of membership communities out there uh, for therapists. So how are we going to differentiate ourselves? I didn't know what people wanted. So I jumped on about 20 phone calls with people that were in that range and just said, Three questions, you know, what's your experience been? So I'm really hearing their pain. What's your experience been in launching a practice? Um, what do you wish was out there? If you could just design, you know, something that was out there and then what would you pay for that? In doing that, I actually got my audience to say, here's what we want. Uh, we want community that's deeper than just a typical Facebook group. We want some face-to-face -face interactions with people. We want to also have some live things so we can ask you questions. We want some ongoing teaching and e-courses, and then we want some of the tools of the trade, so things like a logo or a paperwork package or you know social media images. So when we created this membership community, we then were able to say, okay, this is how we're different. We have these three things that our audience has said is kind of bigger and better than a typical membership community so that people are able to really grow and scale. And because of that, we can offer it at a higher price point because they're getting so much out of it. So by doing that, it then helps me experiment a little bit. So then that very first launch of it, we said to people, this is a beta test. We want to see if people are even interested. We're going to do it at a cheaper rate than what we're going to do later on. We just wanted to see, will people actually you know, pay for something or will they say, yes, we pay for it and they don't pay for it? So we experimented to see if it was worth pursuing. We could have ended up you know, canceling it and refunding everybody's money and just say, oh, okay, we wasted some time there. You have to be willing to adapt, you know. Um, someone recently was saying it's like it's not the strongest that survive it's those that adapt who survive like yeah, in, in evolution and in, in, in the wild so i think the same is true in business and i think removing your ego a bit from the idea itself and being willing to go i have a pretty clear idea of what i think people want i think it's meeting a need i think these are the features right and often it's the features that i think people get too attached to before they've actually um, tested it with the market or figured out how am I going to actually describe this thing or sell this thing and really get the messaging dialed in? Yeah, hundred percent. And I feel like you have to also know that next step of activate. So once you've experimented, what can you throw some either finances behind, um, some sponsorships behind marketing? Um, and so how do you amp it up basically? Uh, and when you do start to activate that, that's when it gets going. You want to start to remove yourself from that idea as much as possible. And that's the S of ideas of scale. Uh, because what often happens is people, they build this idea, they love it, it's their, quote, baby. Um, but then they're so kind of in, intertwined within that 
that their time, they've just created an, another monster to feed. Um, so they've created that, okay, we're going to do a live email every week or a Facebook Live or this these different things. Um, but they haven't created a lifestyle out of that big idea. They've just added something else that they're responsible for. I think that's absolutely true. <laughs> and um, I think things can end up suffering uh, uh, as a result. So, um, and scale is huge, right? Because um, the reality is that what we do as therapists, sitting down one-to-one, is not scalable. It's not scalable in nature. And, there, and again, there's so many therapists that want to go beyond um, just therapy, yeah, and I think if someone wants to do that, that's fine. But make sure that you're seeing your ideal client, you're getting the rate that you want, and doing the number of hours that you want. And so, you know, if you want to do 20 sessions a week, hopefully those 20 sessions are going to be your exact client that you want to work with, and it's not just for the money, um, or you're at least moving towards that. Uh, for for most of us, we have these ideas inside of us, but then, as you said earlier on, it's the technology, the how do we do it, like what do we do to actually launch this thing uh, that really stands in the way of people taking that action. Uh, you know, I think about like our mutual friend Katie who launched Practicat. Uh, she had this idea of launching a website where therapists could sell their different worksheets and things that help support kind of private practice, but that also people could go find those types of worksheets, like a marketplace for therapists. Now, she could have just said, I don't know how to create that kind of platform. I don't know how to do that. That's going to be too expensive. But she didn't. She she worked with her co-founder. They built out the platform. They had it kind of working and got some feedback from people as to what that experience was. Then when their first couple of vendors came on, uh, I was one of them. You know, I said, here's some things that I don't like about it. And then they worked on that. And it's it's a process of creating it. And then once things are ready to go, that's when they activated. They came on as sponsors on our podcast. They got their name out there in a number of different ways. Um, and then at some point, they're going to have to say, how do we scale this outside of just our own time being put into it? That That is, um, yeah, and it was really fun to talk with Katie a bit about where Practicat was at. It was before this before slow down school this past summer. And what I liked is that she looked at the market and she looked for gaps in it. Right. And then she created something that she had a pretty good idea would, would fill that gap. But she was asking everyone for feedback and she did she really didn't have any ego about it. I remember her, we were sitting there on the beach and she came up to me and she said, what do you really think about Practicat? And it was such an invitation to go, here's some things that I think are really cool. Here's some things that I think are kind of half baked and, and don't make sense to me, right? Or might be issues with the platform, or might be issues in incentivizing vendors, right? Um, you're gonna eat, like, why am I gonna let you sell my product if I can sell it for fifty dollars more, or what, whatever it is? Um, but that was that just really struck me how open she was to that, and she was actively seeking that feedback and just taking note of it and 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 implementing it and being really flexible along the way. Well, and that's, I mean, yesterday we got from our next level practice community, someone that was leaving the community that sent this enormous email to us that, you know, made me feel kind of crappy about myself. Uh, but, you know, I, I sent it to Sam and to Emily and said, let's look at this and see if there's truth there. Like, um, are we doing these things wrong or is it that they're not a fit for the community or maybe they had, you know, expectations that were different that we didn't articulate or like where can we improve and where can we just say you know this this wasn't on us or maybe yeah. not all of it's on us yep. and so uh, of course when we experience critique or people not buying into something initially we just kind of internalize it and feel bad about ourselves uh, which is natural but uh, 
I think successful people are able to say, okay, I thought that I worked really hard on this website and people are tearing it apart. Yep. I can either be so attached to this website and have it not work, or I can maybe take this feedback and say what needs to actually improve here. I think uh, the idea of statistical significance is important here. <laughs> and um, I've worked through this process recently in one of my new programs where I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to use the same message, the same offer um, in the same way as I pitch the idea to people, right? Or as I'm selling um, um, uh, the product to people. And until I have 30 uh, responses, I'm not going to judge the significance at all. Right. Because I could judge five of those and they're all no's or they're all people going, I don't want this. This doesn't resonate. Um, this is too expensive. Right. And I could just call it a day. Right. But then I could have five people who say, this is great. Let's do it. I would pay twice as, as much for this. So we have to be willing to really sometimes, I think, step back um, and uh, and look for statistical significance um, yeah. as much as possible. That's such a good point. Uh, I, I think that we often use such a small sample size for whatever we're trying uh, and don't give it enough time. I mean, practice the practice. I want to say that when I was about ready to throw in the towel, I think that was 2014. Uh, two thousand. So maybe maybe it was 15. I don't really, I don't have any memory as to exactly when it was, but it was at least a year in. But then it was like, what can I do different? Well, I'm not doing the podcast regularly. So of course people aren't listening to it as much. So if I just say every Tuesday morning, it's going to go live around 6 a.m. for the morning commute. People then know, okay, I can expect that out of Joe. And then, okay, I didn't have enough of a sample size. I wasn't consistent. If I just double down and say, I'm going to do this and give it one last go and we'll see if it works. Um, that's what helped me have enough information to say, yeah, let me stick with this. Joe, what, what else is missing from this conversation about big ideas and aha moments and then close this out with how people can get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I could go on and will go on, not necessarily <laughs> here, for, for a long time about big ideas. I would say that going after ideas that are outside of your practice is probably, I, I wouldn't even say probably, I'd say it is the biggest opportunity professionally that therapists can go after right now. We know that uh, a quarter of US citizens with the most recent data listen to at least one podcast a month. So that's enough that there's going to be more steam behind it, but there's still such an opportunity there. We know that almost every new car comes out with the ability to play podcasts within it. So soon grandma's going to have her favorite podcast. Your kids are going to have their favorite podcast. There's such an immense opportunity there for people just around podcasts, let alone other big ideas. If you want to be the next keynote Brene Brown type, if you want to launch an e-course, or maybe you just want to do something where you serve one or two extra people a year at a really high price point, there's opportunity for it if you do it right. And so I would just encourage people to dream really big um, because you can absolutely do it. You don't have to have this lifestyle that has been handed to us where we work so hard and do such good work without getting paid for it or having time off to reflect on what we're doing. Uh, so that, that's what I would say uh, would be my biggest advice for people. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Joe, um, how can people find out more about you and get in touch? Yeah, we're all on all the major social media platforms. So find us on there. Just search for Practice of the Practice. Uh, you can head on over to the website. Uh, we have over 30 resources that are totally free. They're checklists, ebooks, uh, courses over at practiceofthepractice.com forward slash resources. We stopped doing just one giveaway for people because everyone's at a different phase of practice. And we want to give you what you want. Awesome. Joe Sanok from Practice of the Practice. Thank you for being here, man. It's always good to see you and I uh, hope to see you again soon. John Clark, this has been awesome. Thanks so much. 
Thanks again for being here. Um, uh, as a reminder, do me a quick favor and rate, review, and subscribe to this show wherever you are listening. Tell a friend uh, about the show. Send them your favorite episode. It really helps us continue to grow the show and reach more people and help more people. Um, with that being said, I hope you have a great week. Take care of yourself. Continue doing great work out there in the world, serving people, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Cheers. Cheers.